Welcome to Inside the Growing Mind. This is Westminster's podcast all about giving parents and teachers the tools and knowledge to help children grow healthy, resilient brains. I'm your host, Erin Duntman. We're so glad to have you back for our second episode. On today's episode, we have Dr. Toy Curry, a clinical neuropsychologist and a learning strategist in our middle school, along with Alicia Williamson, who's a school psychologist and a learning strategist who works with our youngest learners in the lower school. In our last episode, we talked about developing the big idea that guides your family and your everyday parenting choices. Our focus today is going to be on the power of your family's habits and how a few healthy habits can help your kids in all areas of their lives. So listen to that first episode if you haven't had a chance, but we're going to dive right in right now. Toy, tell us about what our habits can do for growing brains. It's really important um, for children in particular, but for families as a whole, to understand how important routines are for just allowing your brain to focus on what you're trying to learn. And so, for example, if a child is in a classroom and they're trying to take in information, we don't want them to be worried about, what did I have for breakfast? Who's going to pick me up? Where am I supposed to be this afternoon? And so routines are very important for allowing that cognitive energy to be focused on learning and academics. And how do those two parts interact in the brain, those emotional reactions to, what am I doing? Where's my shoes? Where's my socks? And that cognitive learning of your academic subject. So um, I'm glad you brought that up. What we do in the middle school is working with our sixth graders with Meet Your Brain. And it's a day where we actually go into the classroom and teach students about their brains and the different parts of your brains on a very superficial but relevant um, level. And so we talk about two parts of kind of your internal brain called the amygdala and the hippocampus. Um, And those are big fancy words, but really they sit in what we call the limbic system and they help with memory and emotional regulation. So think of your amygdala as the gatekeeper. So your amygdala is kind of a gate. When your emotions are calm and relaxed and regulated, you're not stressed or super excited about anything, your gate is open. So when information is trying to get to that hippocampus, it flows relatively easily. When you are stressed, worried, frustrated, annoyed, super excited about that upcoming trip to the lake, any of those things that cause your amygdala to be a little overexcited, it starts to close that gate. What that means is information can still get in, but it's harder to get it in and harder to get it out. And so we want to make sure that when our students are in the classroom, they're available for learning. And that means some of those basic things, right? They've had something to eat. They're not tired. They've had a good night's sleep. Um, But also that emotional piece. So they're not highly stressed or highly frustrated, not just on exams, but when they're trying to learn new information. And Alicia, anyone who's spent any time around small children can observe that a lot of their energy does go into their emotions. What does the kid's age have to do with how much ability they have to free up that cognitive area of the brain? Age plays a huge part in determining whether or not a student is able to self-regulate emotionally. Um, Particularly school-age children, there's so much development going on um, in those early years as well as the school years, um, particularly with the maturation of the prefrontal cortex, which aids in that emotional regulation piece. So it's 
it's a process and it's a gradual process. And we're really at the beginning stages of kids ages 6 to 11 in terms of that maturation to regulate emotions. It's clear that because of the way our brains are made up, it's super important as parents to help our kids learn to regulate their emotions for so many reasons, including this academic learning piece. So how do we actually do that? That's a great question. There are so many routines and processes that begin at home that largely impact um, children's brain development and then their functioning at school. Um, Daily routines are huge in terms of um, how are we getting to school? Are we getting to school in a hurried manner? Um, are we stressed? Are we arguing on the car ride on the, into school? Um, those types of encounters can impact how the child enters the school and if they present with their brain ready for learning. Um, so I think really just structuring your nighttime routine as well as your morning routine to reduce the amount of stress that you and your child encounter, and then just having a, a, a routine that is familiar to the entire family. You know that after I brush my teeth, I put my shoes on and I'm by the door as opposed to that mad dash five minutes before to find your shoes and find your coat. So, and just really doing a lot of um, work the night before and having everything prepared so there isn't that mad dash to try to find things as you prepare in the morning. And I I believe on the uh, middle school level, all of those things continue to be relevant. Um, We want our kids to come to school as much as possible from a smooth car ride or carpool. We know Atlanta traffic is not always fun, um, so sometimes that causes a little frustration for all involved. Um, But, you know, those routines are critical. I think in terms of the night before or the day before, some things that are also very helpful are where people are doing work. So does your child have a place in the house where they can get their homework done, where they can get their projects done, where they can leave things that won't be stepped on by a younger sibling or an older sibling or a dog? Um, Is their book bag in the same place every day so that they're not mad dashing at 725 when you have to be to school at 745, but they can't find their homework? And so really having those routines in place So one thing that we've found helpful is checking in with your child, whether it's looking at their planner or their um, online school-based website, to see what's due, what's coming up, and what's passed. Have they had a test or quiz? Are they missing any homeworks or anything that they need to work on over the next few days? I am not or have not always been the most organized person, and so what I found was that when I haven't put my laundry away in a week and a half, or, you know, my bag's not packed the night before, walking out the door, my stress level is already high. Well, then I start to forget more and more things that I should be doing. And so when your brain is in this mode of high stress or high anxiety or high worry, your ability to do things that you even do on a consistent and regular basis falls short. 12-year-olds can't drive themselves to school. And so thinking about How I feel sitting in the backseat of the car knowing I'm going to be late to school again or we're not going to be late today, but I left my book. I know I need it for English class, but I don't want to ask mom because she's going to be upset with me because I forget it all the time. And then walking through my whole day with that level of stress because I have English last period. 
how much of the information that I've learned today in science or world cultures or math has actually gotten in and how much of my day have I spent stressed about this one thing that I keep doing all the time. So these routines are really critical for just helping students, again, have that cognitive energy to be available for learning and also just helping the whole family practice better self-care. For this next segment, we headed up to the lower school to find out from kids what they think about their family's routines. What is a routine? I think a routine is like doing something over and over again to get ready for like a specific thing. So what are some of the routines you have in your family? Mm, when I wake up in the morning, I lit- I just have to get up, turn my alarm clock off, brush my well, go to the bathroom first, and then I have to brush my teeth, and then I have to change my um, clothes, and then I have to go downstairs and eat my breakfast. What are some things that you and your family do every single day? We like to play and cook. What about the way you get ready for school and the things you do when you get home? Are those the same every day? Yeah, we pretty much wake up at 6 and we get dressed and eat breakfast and get ready. And then we go to school. What are your routines when you get home? Um, Usually just doing homework and then relaxing for a bit and then reading. Do you read every day? Um, Yeah, almost every day. What if your mom or your dad told you one day that there wasn't enough time to read because you had to do something completely different than what you did every other day. That would be a little weird because I'm not used to it and it wouldn't feel quite right. Do you think it helps you to do the same things every day for getting ready for bed and getting ready for school? Um, yeah, because it helps me figure out what to do and it helps me stay on time for stuff. When a kid shows up at home or at school and they're off, they're moody, they're sad, they're weepy, they're angry. They often can't identify the reason. I think it's a really important responsibility for us as parents to be watching those patterns in our child's lives and day in, day out. What's the pattern? Have there been three nights out of the last five where we didn't sleep or two out of the last five where we all of a sudden had to pack the car back up and all go to the grocery store together because we were out of snacks? Do you have any tips for parents on how to keep track of those patterns, what to look for? So um, at our house, we have a, a whole big dry erase calendar that we use for everything. So we plot all of the activities we have for the month, gymnastics, ballet, trips out of town. And then my husband and I, we document changes um, because sometimes we'll notice things with our daughter, but we'll forget to mention it to the other person. And so we just started keeping track of that on our dry erase board. And at the end of the month, we look back and see, okay, so on this day, we're noticing that Addison is a little more um, edgy, is what we'll call her. Yes, we'll call it edgy (laughs) during drop off at school. Um, And so we'll go back and we'll look for those patterns to see what things we need to change in terms of how we prepare the night before and our morning routine and prepping to get out the door for school and work. I also um, have a large dry erase calendar in my house. (laughs) Parents get a large dry erase calendar for your house. Um, But really, um, my biggest tip is just try to get as many adults as possible on the same accord for how we're going to track what's coming up, because that's going to help you track if there are mood changes or, Mm -hmm. you know, 
if Tuesdays and Thursdays are really, really, really hard to get out of the house, well, then you realize, well, Mondays and Wednesdays are when we have late basketball practice. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why Tuesdays and Thursdays are hard to get out of the house, because we're groggy in the morning as a family. Things come up. Your child forgets to tell you that they're supposed to go to a friend's house or they have a project due. Mm -hmm. It's going to come up. It comes up in second grade. It's going to come up in 10th grade. But, but I think that's my biggest tip is plan ahead and make it known to the whole family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we try to emphasize that with middle school students as well, with their lovely planners. Don't just put what academic work is due. Put when you have practice. Put when you have a game. Put when you have Nana's 100th birthday party. Because those things all are going to impact when you can get work done. So. I think another key point to that, in addition to having that organization, is the communication. So having those conversations at the end of the day in terms of what we're planning for for the next week, later that day, so that it's on everyone's radar in your family, I think that helps to kind of de-escalate that stress because now we've all just talked about it, we've discussed it, and we know it's a part of our routine and a part of the expectation so we can plan accordingly. And, and really checking in with your child emotionally. Mm -hmm. So we talk about checking in with what's on their schedule, checking in with what's on our own agenda. But sometimes it's really just sitting down and saying, you know, tell me something good that happened today. Now tell me something, not necessarily tell me something bad, but like tell me something that you wish went a little differently today than it actually did. And Toy, I think that's a really great point because even in the lower school, we constantly see parents that are saying, I asked them about their day and they say they didn't do anything or they don't remember. And that's simply not true. We're just not asking the right questions. So I think that's another key component because oftentimes kids will, they sometimes they really don't remember just because of brain development um, and just really not having that, that memory of what happened earlier in the day or specific events. But if we ask those guided questions, then we're able to get a lot more information about how they're feeling and what's going on in their day-to-day -day routines. So I'm ready to jump in with creating some new healthier habits for my family to help us keep that anxiety at bay. How do I start? I would say make your child a partner. Don't make decisions on your own. What works for you may not work for them. And it's harder to get someone back into it after you've made lots of suggestions. So pick a day, a Saturday, a Sunday, a Tuesday when there's no school, um, and sit down and say, these are things we need to work on. Let's throw some suggestions out for how we're going to do that as a family. You know, my tendency might be we're going to write everything we're doing on the whiteboard. My mom lives with me. She hates writing on the dry erase board. So I got her her own board and she can do what she wants with it, but it helps me to still know what's going on with her. And so really just figuring out, let's sit down and talk about where we're doing great as a family and where we want to make some improvements because these things are going to help you in school. These things are going to help me at work. You know, don't just make it about your child and what they need. Make it about your family and your family being successful, each member. I agree. I believe it starts with a conversation. And families are unique. I don't feel like there's a cookie cutter model for anyone's family in terms of their nighttime routine or their morning routine. So I think it's a matter of having those conversations and determining what works best for you. The whiteboard works great for Toy and I. It might not work for everyone else. So find those specific 
needs in your family from everyone, not just from your perception, and then address those needs head on. And then don't be afraid to have checkpoints because at some point, whatever routine or whatever strategies you put into place might not be as effective and it might be time to um, adjust or pivot in terms of how you're addressing your morning and nighttime routines. When you have more than one child in a family, just as best you can recognize that every child is different and every child's needs are different, even if they've grown up in the same household with the same rules and the same parents. And one more thing I'd like to add, too, is just the importance of creating those um, routines for children. A lot of times we assume that they know the steps that they need to take in terms of morning preparation and nighttime preparation, and they really don't. (laughs) It's important that we lay out that routine and then adjust accordingly and then make sure that they understand and eventually internalize that routine as opposed to relying on constant reminders and constant prompts. So I think finding what your starting point is and what works for you as a family and then adjusting accordingly. Sometimes very explicit teaching and then adjustment as necessary um, really just sets that child up for success. You know, we really want to see And they really want to feel successful with these things that we're putting into place. And so let's do that by just saying, here's what I'd like us to do. When it's bedtime, I'd like you to put on your pajamas, brush your teeth, and then brush your hair. How can I help you remember that? Oh, write it on the mirror. Oh, put a sign on your door. Cool. And that's what we'll do. But really explicit teaching is important. I get my oil changed all the time. And I've seen them change my oil all the time. That doesn't mean I can change it myself. Mm-hmm. And I think we do that to kids. You know, we say, but you've seen me do this all the time. You've seen me pack your book bag. You've seen me pack your lunch. Just do it. I watched, but I didn't really learn. Mm-hmm. I was just observing. And so really making sure that we're taking time to teach and not just to let them show us what they've learned from an observation. For parents who are ready to jump in and start or ready to restart or just want to tune up what they're doing with their family's habits, are there any books or articles or other podcasts you guys would recommend? The Whole Brain Child is a great book for parents to read. Um, It discusses a lot of strategies, a better understanding of where they children are in terms of development. And I found it really useful for myself and even more helpful as a parent. Smart But Scattered is one that is a little bit for older children, but really effective in terms of just setting up routines for homework completion and organization and and those types of things. Everyone's got attention weaknesses at some level, and everyone has to learn to plan and be organized and develop their executive functions, which also are not stable until the mid-20s. Smart But Scattered is a great resource to just say, let's put some very objective routines in a place and see how they work. Listeners, those will be linked on our website at westminster.net slash podcast. Toy, Alicia, I'm so grateful that you guys came in to talk to us today. I think this was a really helpful conversation for all the parents out there. And listeners, thanks for listening to the second episode of Inside the Growing Mind. This is Westminster's podcast all about giving parents and teachers the tools and knowledge to help our children grow healthy, resilient brains. You can listen and subscribe so you don't miss an episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud.